Good afternoon and welcome to the Afternoon Buzz. We are buzzless this afternoon. My name is Brian Adams and I will be your host for the science and sustainability section on this windy, windy Thursday. And I'm so excited about welcoming Jenny Powers, who is the Director of Science at the Springfield Museums. She is a formerly the Family Engagement Coordinator and now has been recently named the Director and is the first woman to hold this position in more than 73 years. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming. Congratulations on the new job. Thank you. Um, I love the Springfield Science Museums. I love all the Springfield Museums. And, you know, so many people in the Valley don't even know they exist. But they do, and they are wonderful. And my kids just going down to the, the, di the dioramas with the big animals and the African Hall with the even bigger animals. It's really a spectacular place. Uh, let me start you off with one question. Do you have a favorite spot in the museum, like your go-to place? Yes, I sure do. And it's Seymour Planetarium. To me, the Quarkus Starball, it's 85 years old. Um, it's still operating as well as it did on the first day. And that's just the heart of the Springfield Science Museum. And you are an astronomer as well, is that correct? Or, or um, I don't know if obsessed I with astronomy. I don't know if I'd want to go that far, but I do enjoy astronomy. Yes. I was seeing that you, your two passions are dinosaurs and astronomy. Yes, you I have, also love dinosaurs. Have, <laughs> yes, it's true. Uh, do you have plans to to expand any of those two kinds of exhibits at the museum? Absolutely. We have some very exciting things coming. So in the planetarium itself, we do have the historic star ball that was created by the Corcus brothers when the museum could not afford a Zeiss projector. However, now through the Thanks to the federal government, we actually are getting a Zeiss full dome projection system. The star ball will never leave. They will be used together. Um, but we'll be able to show any kind of full dome movie, whether it be exploring our universe or whether it be a tour of an overseas art museum. So being able to get that is going to be just a huge, huge upgrade. My second favorite place in the Science Museum is our observatory, where we have a 20-inch schmidt Cassegrain telescope. And one thing we're doing there that's incredibly exciting is we're digitizing our observatory. Um, one of the negatives that we face with it now is that it is up a steep set of stairs. And so people who can't climb the stairs are not able to look out and see um, the view from the observatory, which is on the roof of the museum. And so with these, this new technology, we'll be able to take the images right from that telescope and beam them downstairs to accessible rooms. Um, we can show them right in the planetarium, actually. And we also got two additional telescopes to augment the big one where we so that we can even have observatory tours going on and be looking through one telescope um, downstairs, but have people be able to walk right up to the eyepiece upstairs. So we'll be able to do both. And then there, our second new telescope is a dedicated solar scope, which we can also get videos and photos from. So we'll be able to, even um, the eclipse that just went by, the lunar eclipse, we were able to make a video through a telescope of the lunar eclipse and put it up on our YouTube channel so that if people couldn't go out and see it, they could see it um, from the comfort of their own homes. So those are the biggest astronomy updates. Another important one, though, is we are creating tactile 
uh, astronomy exhibits. I have been really lucky in the last year. I've got to help two people who were nearly blind see images of the moon. And I've got to help um, people who are blind start to learn about the wonder of nebulas. And so we're going to have touchable nebulas, touch uh, models, touchable 3D image of nebulas of a nebula and a 3D image of one of the web telescope images, which is Stefan's quintet. We'll also have a backlit screen that is a touch screen where people can zoom in and out and get to see the creators of the moon because that's what I've learned just through my personal experience that people um, have not got to witness before. And everybody loves the craters of the moon. I mean, the moon is really cool. The it's moon in, is it, very look, cool. I mean, look how much poetry and music it inspires. Yeah. So, and that's one thing that I love to do is go home at night and get my telescope out and look up and see the moon and try to take pictures of the moon. I'm learning astrophotography from a mentor now and so it would you know it will really get to help a lot of people i'm really excited about it very cool and then Sorry. oh do you want me to say what is coming with dinosaurs too sure why not so dinosaurs is one of our most popular attractions at of the course. museum we uh what's not to love about dinosaurs exactly it's the moon and dinosaurs and really it's astronomy and dinosaurs go so well together because of un Unfortunately for the dinosaurs, the asteroid. But we do have a wonderful, huge T-Rex model as the centerpiece of our dinosaur hall now, in addition to some wonderful local specimens of fo different fossils. Unfortunately, that big dinosaur is almost as old as me, which is to say it's pushing half a century, and it's no longer accurate based on what we've learned about dinosaurs. So that dinosaur, Tyra is her name, she will be retired, and we will have new dinosaur models coming in, and they will show the T-Rex standing more accurately, leaned over with its tail up. One of the things I'm truly most excited about it is we're going to be one of the first places to get a model of our new state dinosaur. And so our state dinosaur is about the size of a cat. So we are getting a bronze model, which is naturally antimicrobial. So even during a pandemic, okay to touch. Um, and we'll, we'll have that in, it'll be touchable and kids can explore that and make a, hopefully a local connection. Touchable dinosaurs. Yes. Way to go. Uh, science can be so intimidating for so many people, uh, Jenny, uh, sometimes even scary. How do you make science accessible without dumbing it down and without turning people off? Well, the first thing to do is make sure that people feel welcome in the building, welcoming people and making them feel wanted and making them feel secure is a first way to initiate that type of learning. One thing that I love about museums is that a huge portion of our audience is families. And we know families coming together and getting to learn together is one of the ways that people learn best. I have always been taught simple, positive interactions is the way to make memory stick. So if we can get that emotional content down first and let people walk in, um, give people ways to access their prior knowledge. For instance, in our new International Space Station exhibit, you should be able to see tomato plants. Lots and lots of people have already seen tomato plants. They don't need to be intimidated by that. They know what those will do. Then once they're there, we can take them to a next level and have them learn more. Hold on. Wait, wait a minute. Tomato plants on the International Space Station? Yes. So Who have, knew, right? Um, yeah, Project Tomato Sphere is a big thing where they test 
seeds and we've been helping with this project and um, classrooms are measuring if seeds sprout first that have been on earth for their entire existence or if seeds that have been exposed to different atmosphere, you know, a different type of atmosphere um, will germinate first. It turns out the ones that stay on earth germinate faster. Let's talk about this whole issue of uh, memory and, st and mem um, that, that, that people so wonderfully make memories in, in museum. What is one of the major things that you hope or memories that you hope stick in people's brains after they visit the Science Museum? One of the things that I hope people will remember is that science can be a fantastic career, and there are, there are plenty of elements in science and so many careers, but you can enjoy science for pleasure. It doesn't have to be your job. We can't all work in science jobs. And so if you want to learn more and explore new things, science improves lives, and you can have fun and help improve people's lives at the same time. So I hope that people will decide to either come back to the museum over and over, explore a lot of different science museums, or just go out into their natural learn world and apply what they've learned in one of these settings. I want people to know that science is for them. Science is for them, but it always hasn't been, at least for women, right? You were the first woman director of, the, of science in over 73 years. Uh, 70 years ago, women's roles in science were trivialized, were neglected due to sexism, rampant misogyny. Do you still see barriers for girls and women entering the fields of uh, of science? Absolutely. So I may be the first woman in 73 years. All my direct reports are still men. Um, and that is really different coming from the background I came from in education where almost everyone was women. Uh you know, this is something I talk about all the time, and a friend of mine frequently bemoans how women are not involved in astronomy enough. And there are so many little things that make it a, that put up barriers that I don't know if people even realize. For instance, I have been called honey, sweetie, and baby at work in the science museum where I am the director all since I became director. And, you know, women don't want to show up and do things where we're going to be called honey, sweetie, and baby all the time. Um, another thing is even just moving our telescope is a lot easier for tall people with long arms. And those people tend to be men. And so there's a, just so many different, you know, people don't expect to necessarily see someone in lavender ruffles when they know they're going to meet the science director of the science museum. And then sometimes when they actually lay eyes on me, their attitude changes. And it doesn't need to. <laughs> well, congratulations again on, on, on that, that role. Thank you. Um, let's talk about a little more about making science accessible and the museum accessible. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but close to half of Springfield's population is Latinx. That is true. Uh, are you making any attempts to bilingualize the museum? Is is bilingualize a word? Make... I don't know, but it sounds like it should yeah, be. Yeah, why not? Um, so, yes, we are. In fact, most of the special exhibits, <coughs> excuse me, most of the special exhibits that we have coming in do arrive fully bilingual now. As we update the exhibits and as we... Um, put new things in. We're making sure all of that is bilingual. I had a mother approach me at work and talk about 
how important that was to her because her children are at risk of losing their native language because they do go to school where they learn all English. And if she has an opportunity to bring them to the museum and use academic language with them in those settings because of our labels and our signs, they'll be better able to retain their native language and better able to use it in a school setting if they should go to school someplace that is Spanish speaking. That's exciting. The more we can get Folks into the museums, the better off all of us are, particularly those that are underserved or underrepresented in our community. Before we break, I want to get back to this role of women and girls and sexism. Um, before the show, you're talking about, I'm sort of laughing anxiously, but the, uh, the, the African hall and all the animals in the African hall are male animals. Yes, that's true. Oh and it was considered that males would be the more interesting visually part of the species because some of them have horns or antlers that the, their female counterparts don't have. But we know that life doesn't go on <laughs> unless you have both represented and biodiversity is something really important at the museum as well. So attempts to upgrade and get some female animals in there. I mean, I would say that's part of my 10-year plan. We have a lot to do over at the excellent, museum. Excellent. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Jenny Powers. Jenny is the Director of Science at the Springfield Museums down in Springfield. She's the first woman to hold that position in over 73 years. And we come back, we'll talk more about science and the Springfield Museum. So stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5. Hey everyone, it's Tina Marie, co-pilot of The Cambridge Connection. I'm also a certified credit counselor. For 25 years, I've been helping people have a better relationship with money while getting out of debt. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on WHMP, join me, Gordon, and our variety of amazing experts who stop by to offer great advice navigating the daily financial maze of life. If you've ever considered pet insurance for your dog or cat, then tune in on Saturday to learn how to insure that furry family member you love. Welcome the arrival of the new year in the heart of historic Old Deerfield at the Friends of Deerfield Jubilee. On New Year's Eve, we're kicking off a year-long celebration of Deerfield's 350th anniversary. Enjoy a gourmet dinner, cash bar, raffles, and music by the O-Tones of Northampton. Tickets are $100 or $180 for two. For tickets and more information, please visit friendsofdeerfield.org. Thank you to our sponsors, Greenfield Savings Bank, AFI Furnishings, and Ralph's Blacksmith's it is simply impossible, says the Boston Globe, to imagine an audience that wouldn't enjoy what they do. Cherish the Ladies, bringing their Celtic Christmas show to UMass December 2nd. Cherish the Ladies, the Irish-American supergroup formed in New York City in 1985, celebrating the rise of women in the Irish music scene. The sweetest stars that Led by Joni Madden, Cherish the Ladies delivers a rousing blend of traditional music, captivating voices, and propulsive step dancing.
For tickets, UMass Fine Arts Center website. Cherish the Ladies, Celtic Christmas, Friday, December 2nd, 7.30 p.m. in the Frederick C. Tillis Performance Hall at UMass. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. It happens all over Massachusetts. In every home and every community. Be careful in your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. Hi guys. We'll see you at practice this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And good afternoon and welcome back. We're talking this afternoon with Jenny Powers. Jenny is the di Director of Science at the Springfield Museum. She's the former Family Engagement Coordinator, still engaging families in her new role as the first woman director in 73 years. So that's pretty cool. Jenny, I want to talk a little bit about the politicization, is that a word, of science. Uh, High-level politicians, as we know, like the ex-president, Trump, right on down the line, disputing basic science, which makes us scientists go nuts. It's been particularly true with COVID, with climate change. My uh, two-part question, one, do you have exhibits on climate change or COVID? Uh, and number two, what what do you see a museum's role in unpoliticizing science and really bringing or dealing with some of these existential threats that are out there that are science-related? Um, I'd like to answer the two parts backwards if I can. Please. So I see the role of a museum as, as being to present the most up-to-date science possible, and we're hoping to add a few areas where we'll be able to update people quickly and nimbly, whether it be bulletin boards for newspaper headlines or whiteboards where we can write updates. That's something that's really important and focusing on the truth, but also changing as the truth as we know it changes, just like the T-Rex that should be further bent over with its tail up. That's something we've learned since that got installed. And so it's not that science never changes. It's just we need to change along with it. And um, we do face that. We we definitely face that at the museums. Right now, we do have some b beautiful printed banners up, including people to get vaccinated. That's not, I wouldn't call it an exhibit per se, but there are five banners of prominent people in Springfield encouraging people to do that. Um, we know how important that it is for our community, and we really wanted to be part of that. We also held vaccine clinics right at the museum for children. For climate change, we don't have a permanent exhibit yet, but we do have some things happening. So this past winter, we had an exhibit called Under the Arctic that was all about the permafrost and a lot about how climate change is affecting the permafrost and thereby affecting the people who live there. That was a nice in-depth, hands-on, um, no dumbing down at all, really presenting good information and 
kids want real information. I know we we try to make it simpler for kids to understand, but it's really important not to take out those hard facts. They can understand them and their minds are more elastic than ours. So that's the best time to give them the hard information. We do have another exhibit coming this summer called Molly of Denali, and that addresses some uh, climate change issues in Alaska. We are working now with a Gold Award Girl Scout who wants to add a panel about climate change to the museum. I'm very much in favor of that. And we have a polar bear, which is very well known at the museum, named Snowball, used to be in Forest Park Zoo. And we've come to the conclusion that we can make Snowball our climate change ambassador because polar bears are one of the animals most affected and most likely to become extinct because of climate change. So we're working with Addie, who is the, our Gold Award Girl Scout, to create a display about climate change right across from Snowball so that we can make that our first step. We're also moving into making all of our exhibits somewhat connected to the theme of systems science. And when we talk about that, we will be talking about climate change in a lot of different areas of the museum. One thing that does make me a little crazy when I see programs for children in our area is it'll be end up being a lot about like sorting your trash into either recycling or composting or, or landfill. And something that I want to make sure people know is that that is not enough. And we need to be teaching children more than that. I did do some um, civic engagement education back when I was family engagement coordinator and encouraged children to write postcards to their legislators. And we wrote them right there at the museum about what's important to them. I didn't tell them what to make important to them, but I gave them the tools and told them how to write to those different people. Springfield is very at risk from climate change, especially there are so many people who are impoverished and there's so many different things that can and will go wrong for Springfield. One of the things that's most important to me to teach at the museum is resilience because that's what our community is going to need. Great, it's really important to get that message of climate change out there to as fast an audience as possible. We're running out at a time, but I do want to talk a little bit about Dr. Seuss. Um, one of, I think, the greatest science books ever written is The Lorax. Mm. Um, and the amazing world of Dr. Seuss Museum is right next to the Science Museum down there. Do you have any, do you do any Seussian science or collaborate with the Seuss Museum? Yes, absolutely. And um, while Dr. Seuss did write The Lorax, there are a whole series of educational books, a lot of them about science, written with Dr. Seuss's characters by contemporary authors. And there's one of my favorites is called There's No Place Like Space. I think there's one called Oh My, a Dinosaur. There is a dinosaur one. And so we often develop activities around those books um, and use those characters to teach different things as well. And the Lorax is just always popular. Of course. And it is a marvelous, marvelous book with the Great message of empowerment and getting getting people involved. Um, talk a little bit about when people can visit the museum, the other museums in the quadrangle. How do folks get more information? Well, our website is springfieldmuseums.org. We're open most days 10 to 5 and on Sundays 11 to 5. We are closed on Mondays. We have a 
a huge amount of programs in December. It's something for just about everyone, whether it be gingerbread Saturdays, um, the school vacation week's theme is going to be Planet Earth, You Are Here. And we even have a Grinchmas after hours program for adults 21 plus. Great. And the museum is free to Springfield residents, right? Absolutely, yes. Which is wonderful. And we do have a ways to save section on our website so that if you don't live in Springfield, there's a discount for just about everybody. Excellent. Again, here in the Valley, we tend to forget that there is this marvelous resource, which is the Quadrangle Museums down in Springfield, whether it's art or Seuss or science and um, wonderful grounds to visit some Seuss sculptures out there as well. So encourage our listeners to get out there and get into our local museums. We've been talking with Jenny Powers. Jenny is the Director of Science at the Springfield Museums, the first Director of Science, uh, first woman Director of Science for over 73 years. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It was my pleasure. Thank you. We'll be back after break with Ruth Griggs, who's doing all things jazz, so stick with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Good afternoon. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The South Hadley Education Association and its supporters will be holding a rally on the South Hadley Town Common from 1130 to 1230 this Sunday to speak out for educators and students. With most South Hadley educators still working under the terms of an expired and outdated contract, members of the South Hadley Education Association continue to call on the school committee to settle a fair agreement in a timely manner. The group has reached a tentative settlement, but paperwork has not been signed. Over 100 students at UMass held a campus rally yesterday afternoon to show support and to mourn the more than 400 people killed and 18,000 arrested since protests against the Iranian regime began. That includes the death of 22-year-old Masha Amini in September, who was killed for not wearing her hijab properly. Organizer Aman Desnabi tells the Gazette the whole idea is staying in solidarity with protesters in Iran. UMass students joined students at 200 universities across the world in a simultaneous standout. The Roman Catholic Diocese of Springfield revealed another allegation of sexual abuse against the late Reverend Thomas J. O'Connor in a recent report. O'Connor died in 1987 and had previously had one credible allegation of sexual abuse of a minor against him. The diocese releases a quarterly report of clergy credibly accused of sexual abuse, a list which includes more than 50 bishops, priests, deacons, other religious and lay employees in the church. O'Connor had been assigned to churches in Holyoke, Munson, Springfield, North Adams, Pittsfield, and Lenox in his time as a reverend. Mostly sunny this afternoon, a little windy, a high of 40 to 44. Wind diminishes tonight under scattered clouds, a low of 20 to 26. Mostly sunny tomorrow, a high of 44 to 48. Showers on Saturday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. What's new in the universe? What's new in the universe? We'll find out when we speak with Hampshire College professor and astronomer Salman Hamid, and also with Massachusetts Teachers Association President Max Page, and we'll be featuring Art B with Donabel Cassis as well. All this beginning Friday at 9 o'clock. 
Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. I once had a customer who asked us to make a very special fruit basket. I want 25 pounds of bananas, he said, with a note attached that reads, I'm bananas over you. Will you marry me? You know, I've always wondered about their wedding cake. At State Street Market, we make fruit baskets. Of course we do. But just because it's a basket doesn't mean you've got to fill it with fruit. How about a basket filled with but soda pop or microbrews? There are Chardonnay baskets, Merlot, Shiraz. Give us a price range and we'll fetch you a combination of bottles from the wine cellar that'll make someone dizzy with delight. Oh, we do baskets. Local goat cheeses and six kinds of crackers. Cookie baskets based on the cities of the world. Milano, Brussels. We've even put together the ingredients for the perfect minestrone. The fresh vegetables, the spice jar, the pasta. Hey, if you can dream it, State Street can put it in a basket. State Street Deli, State Street Fruit, State Street Wines and Spirits, Northampton. Delivery, too. At American National, we understand the tried and true farm and ranch lifestyle. And what's important to you is important to us. You deserve an insurance plan custom made to meet all the specific needs of your agribusiness operation. American National offers flexible farm and ranch policies with package options to help better protect your livelihood. We're right by your side. For more information and to connect with a local American National agent, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And I'm here with you. It's treat time. It's treat time because we have three incredible talents. We have vocalist Ruth Griggs within her Take 5 segment, and she's there with UMass professor and saxophonist extraordinaire Felipe Salz, and we have Paul Arslanian, my favorite pianist. <laughs> Ever. Oh my God. So Ruth. That's a lovely got? introduction. That's a lovely introduction. I am I am really honored to have both Paul Arslanian, who we all know uh, well as the producer of the Northampton Jazz Festival and the coordinator of the Northampton Jazz Workshop for over 10 years. Um, and I also have Felipe Salas, who is um, an amazing professor, uh, performing artist, um, composer, arranger, and clinician, which I thought was an interesting word that I actually had not seen before. Um, and we are going to actually uh, talk about a couple of things. We're going to uh, focus first on the Northampton Jazz Festival's Jazz Artists in the Schools program, which I realize we've really never spoken about um, to your your listeners here. And so Felipe and Paul um, both have experience in that program that the Jazz Festival um, sponsors. And so we're going to talk about that. And then I want to open it up and just talk a little bit to Felipe and to Paul about some of their latest musical endeavors. Um, so it'll be a very rich um, time here. So Felipe, thank you for joining us. Um, and um, and Paul, uh can you start by just telling us the story of Jazz Artists in the Schools? What is it, and why is it, and how did it come to be? Well, uh, I think about, was it five years ago now? Um, we, we sort of skipped a couple of years. We, we don't know what happened there. It's called a pandemic. <laughs> but uh, I think it was about five years ago now. Um, one of our uh, uh, advisors 
suggested that we, we do some educational outreach, I think, Deborah Cohen maybe, and, and put the bug in our ear. Yeah, what could we do? Um, and we decided that we'd like to try to bring jazz into the schools in Northampton. And uh, so we came up with this plan and found a wonderful sponsor in Alan Davis from Davis Financial uh, to support it for three years, for the first year entirely, and then for five years after that, um, half, halfway in the, into the funds that we needed. And it's called Jazz and Artists in the School. We, we had a problem in the beginning trying to find a name, but we settled on Jazz Artists in the Schools program. And since I coordinate the Northampton Jazz Workshop, I have these wonderful teaching artists, most of them coming from New York and Boston. And so we, and fortunately, the band rehearsals at uh, John F. Kennedy Middle School here in Northampton have Monday nights. And my jam session and uh, the Northampton Jazz Workshop was on Tuesdays. So we would bring in the artists a day early. They would teach on Monday night, and we would do a an assembly with the band and the guest artists and my trio, the Green Street Trio, at the school. And uh, we did two years straight of that. It was wonderful, two performances, two sessions a, a semester. And Felipe was uh, part of that uh, maybe so three, this is, three years ago. Yeah, so Felipe um, is, uh, as, as many of us know, is a, a professor of music at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, as well as doing a million other amazing musical feats. Um, and Felipe, you were uh, one of the early um, um, sort of guest uh, working musicians that came into to JFK to, to work with uh, the jazz band. Can you talk to us a little bit about us your approach with them and what you worked on with them. And of course, I know you also just did another one here last month, but um, I'm just curious as a professor of, of, you know, music for college level students, um, what it's like to be teaching these middle schoolers. Um, uh, first, first of all, thank you for having me and uh, hello to everybody. Um, well, you know, I think I think in essence, it's it's all the same. Um, I, I did it a few years ago. It's very very interesting. Right before the pandemic, and then uh, I did it a week ago. Right, Paul? I think it was a week ago. And, and the funny thing, you know, is uh, now my oldest kid is in that band. You know, is going to. So it was kind of funny to come back and actually teach a class in front of my my own kid. Um, but you know, in a way, I think I think the, the most important thing is not the level of the players, but to try to understand how to, I think, convey the the passion and the the joy that it is to make music together and have a chance to express yourself uh, through music and and also you know not be afraid of. Uh, trying things and and you know to try to instill like that way in which you can you could you know by trying you become more confident over time and I think that's that's something that that students even in college are still um, dealing with you know in terms of uh, of their approach to music you know we we I think it's really important and then that 
of course, the next thing would be, you know, understanding the tradition, listening to the music, all those those things that will help you get better. But I think if you take the level away, the the issues are kind of like the same. You know, how do you find joy in music making? How do you make music with people? And how do you actually, you know, n- become less afraid of taking risks and really trust yourself to to use your ears and and you know uh, create a create music on the spot, have a relationship with other musicians. I, I think it's kind of like the same always. I'm still you know working on that myself. You know I'm always mm-hmm. thinking about that myself. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I love I love what you just said. I I can't tell you the journey that I just went through in my mind listening to your comments because. You know, I am a I'm a jazz vocalist, and I I you know still work um, with uh, Sarah Clay as as my vocal instructor and and uh, coach, and I am very fearful of making mistakes. I'm very fearful of doing a scat wrong, and you know, I, I, but I'm not I'm not you know 12 years old, um, and so it it never goes away. And I also. Uh, remember when I was a student at Bennington College, which is a college that really encourages risk-taking and trying anything once. Uh, I was in a music class, and they were like, you know, compose a song. And I'm like, I can't do that. And they're like, yes, you can. You go and compose a song. And I just felt so totally inadequate. But it was it was fine. The song I came up with was was fine. So I love that attitude, Felipe, and the fact that you feel that that's relevant to, you know, a 10-year-old or, you know, uh, a 20-year-old or even, we're not going to mention our ages, but... (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I just finished uh, doing a little clinic, uh, a short clinic for a a RISE Preparatory uh, Academy in Springfield and with some 11, 12, and 13-year-olds at a music music intro to intro to music class and uh most of them had never heard of any of the artists that i listened to or the music that i listened to or the tap dancers that i work with or anything like that but um i i I got them to uh sing a little bit and expressed exactly what you said felipe about uh uh, experiment. They asked me, you know, how do you learn how to do that? You know, how do you start playing music? And I said, well, if you're trying on piano, just start playing some notes. The low register, the high register, just have fun with it. Experiment. Don't be afraid to try things. And then all of a sudden you'll hear something that you like and you'll work on it a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they were great. They were great. They had no no idea about any music yet <laughs> so that was ch- challenging but but fun yeah and I, I i mean i always say to my students that you know like the what i remember to be the biggest lessons the ones that i really learned from in my own uh trajectory were mostly lessons that happened with the mistakes i made you know because when we're afraid of making mistakes we're actually not doing anything you know and if we do everything right, we're actually not learning something from it, you know. So it's it's a huge part of the process of learning, um, not being afraid of making those mistakes and not being afraid of talking about it and seeing what you need to learn from it, too, you know. And that's that's always, I think, a big 
a big, a complicated issue because nobody wants to be in that vulnerable situation, you know. So you have to create the the environment for them to feel comfortable, you know, to talk about the things that went right and went wrong and why and how we learn from that opportunity. Yeah, so that the feedback that you're giving those students is not, you know, critiquing them, um, but building on something that you've heard as as a professional that you know has potential and you know that, that really is going to take them somewhere and and giving them that positive reinforcement. I think that that goes such a long way in building confidence. And don't you think that confidence is a huge part of being a musician. Yeah, I think I think uh, yeah, confidence is everything. You know, I always say you know whatever you play, you have to play with confidence and attitude because I rather hear a note that is wrong that is played with confidence than a note that is right and is played with no confidence. Right. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. That's beautiful. We're going to be taking a break here in another couple of minutes, but a couple of seconds. But let me just remind our listeners that we have on Take 5 this afternoon Felipe Salas, who is a professor of music at UMass and an incredible performing artist and composer and arranger and clinician. We're going to talk more about what he's working on, and Paul Arslanian, who is the coordinator of the Northampton Jazz Workshop as well as the producer of the Northampton Jazz Festival. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues or demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. This Bonafide Minute is brought to you by New England Orthopedic Surgeons of Western Mass. Your shoulder. It's one of the largest and most complex joints in your body, consisting of the bones of the upper arm, shoulder blade, and collarbone, and the rotator cuff, a collection of muscles and tendons that not only surround the shoulder, but give it support and a wide range of motion. Hi, this is Dr. Jenny Garber, arthroscopic and shoulder surgeon at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. Competitive hockey and basketball players can sustain shoulder injuries such as shoulder separation and dislocation and tears of ligaments and tendons from sliding into the boards, falling on the ice or court, or direct contact. But shoulder sprains, strains, and tears can also occur in us regular folks at Sunday pickup games, during dreaded winter shoveling, or even through wear and tear over time. So whether you're a professional athlete, weekend warrior, or someone in between, you can trust the team at New England Orthopedic Surgeons to give you the best bona fide care around. Visit neortho.com to schedule your appointment today. I see somebody dressed up as uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer running. We have uh, someone as a Christmas tree. It yes. looks like they are wearing pine needles. Yes. I don't know if that makes it more or less fun to run in. This Sunday, the hot chocolate run for Safe Passage is back. And WHMP will be there live, broadcasting from the run in downtown Northampton. Safe Passage is the Hampshire County organization addressing domestic violence. you still got time to sign up to run, walk, or volunteer. Then share your fundraising page with family and friends to create year-round support for survivors of domestic 
domestic violence. Join us live in person in downtown Northampton this Sunday, or join us right here on WHMP for the live broadcast of the Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage. When you look at this event, does it say something to you about Northampton as a community? It's a remarkable testament to what people can do when they're all working on the same issue. WHMP's support of the Hot Chocolate Run is made possible by Whalen Insurance Northampton. Local people, local service, local insurance. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Grab your coat and get your hand. So we are returning with a lovely conversation with Felipe Salas, who is a magnificent saxophonist and composer and a professor of music at UMass, and Paul Arslanian, my bud at the Northampton Jazz Festival, and many of us know him as the coordinator of the Northampton Jazz Workshop. And before we um, turn it over to talk uh, to Felipe and Paul about some of their musical endeavors of late, I, I don't want to leave the Jazz Artists in the Schools program which is what we've been talking about, without mentioning that um, in 2019, the year after we started the program at JFK, uh, we started a program um, thanks to the uh, incredible donations in support of Elliot Ross. Um, we started a program at the Northampton High School. Um, they had recently hired Paul Kinsman to, to lead the band there and the jazz program. And um, the generosity of uh, family and friends of young Elliot Ross enabled us to start a similar program at Northampton High School, which is, is ongoing uh, after the two-year hiatus, of course, because of the pandemic. And I just want to uh, read to you um, a quote from one of the students at the high school who was part of a program that Paul put together with a whole series of different uh, jazz musicians who came in to work with the students specifically on improvisation. And um, Elon had said, uh, when I interviewed him, jazz is a, genre, is a genre of music so diverse and so wide, having a different guest musician come in every week has really exposed me to different ideas that I can absorb and then incorporate into my improvisations. I've been surprised by how the diversity of the people around me has helped me grow. So that's just, I was so inspired by what the students said about mm -hmm. their experience um, with the Jazz Artists in the Schools program at, at the high school. So I just wanted to mention that we do have that program thanks to friends of Elliot Ross. Yeah, it was, it was very successful, and uh, it was a, a, a way to jumpstart after the pandemic um, the, the program at, at the high school because uh, they, they had nothing going on for two years. They couldn't play uh, together. And uh, Paul Kinsman, the director there of the Jazz of this music program, uh, got the idea of doing uh, weekly di different guest artists for two weeks at a time coming into his jazz class uh, in the mornings. And so we had five different people. We had a, 
uh, a trumpet player. Uh, these are all performing artists and teaching artists from all, from New York and, and Boston, and mostly. Uh, we had a bass player, a trumpet player, a saxophonist, a uh, cellist, and a guitarist, and a guitarist, and uh, and they all had different. They were all teaching different aspects of improvisation, and focusing on different uh, songs. And the students really got a lot out of it. It was great. It was a it was a magnificent uh, program. Uh, so so thank you both for participating and, and Paul for coordinating that program. I, it's, it's one I'm very proud of for the Jazz Festival. So Felipe, I, I do want to spend a few minutes um, opening up the floor to you to talk about some of your latest endeavors um, just for the audience to know that Felipe has been receiving phenomenal um, co composing grants and music grants and jazz grants for the past 20 years. And um, in 2018, received a Guggenheim Fellowship in Music Composition. And could you just talk uh, for a couple of minutes, Felipe, about some of your your work that you um, are are in, involved with at this point in time? Sure. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this: I'm always trying to um, move forward and look into. Um, ways in which I can get my ideas out there, you know, and I, I, uh, it takes a lot of work to put those, those applications together. And sometimes they are successful, like in the case of the Guggenheim and then, uh, most recently, uh, Jazz Rhodes, uh, arts residency that I got. Um, and, you know, a, a few years back, I started a big band because I had a, I had a vision of, what I wanted to write for music, and it involved a large ensemble, and 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 that's not an easy. It's easier to write for the music to the musicians to write the music than it is to actually get the money to to make possible to play it. But it's been it's been really great, um, and we have a new project coming up, uh, thanks to Jazz Roads and and South Arts that funded that uh, project. Uh, it's coming out next year, and it's, it's a new uh, large ensemble record where I I interviewed um, eight of my favorite uh, immigrant jazz musicians, uh, and we had these conversations over Zoom during the pandemic, and, and I wrote a piece for each one of them based on our conversations, and they were, uh, and then we recorded we. Um, we performed that live without the guests, but then we brought the guests into the studio and 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 recorded uh, what I think is going to be a, a really, really fun album to listen to. And it's got some amazing musicians like uh, Paquito de Rivera and Melissa Aldana, uh, Chico Pinheiro and, and Magos Herrera. I, I can't remember everybody's name right now because I'm getting nervous thinking about it, but uh, it's, it's a fantastic um, group of musicians that I'm very, very uh, uh, a big fan of and and very proud to have in my I heard I heard the premiere of uh, of it um, in, at the Bombix uh, several months ago, and it was great music, uh, Felipe. It was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Is is that home is here, Felipe? Yes. That's correct. It's going to come out in May next year, and it's going to have a, the release is going to have a, the album, and is also going to have uh, videos of the interviews, 
and we also prepared videos of uh, the the studio recordings. So it's going to be really fun because it's going to you'll be able to watch people playing in the studio, be able to uh, watch the interviews, the conversations that I had with the musicians, but also uh, listen to the record separately. Nice. So is it is it going to be a um, a film or how how no, is I'm the gonna, audience I'm going to them... partake in it? No, it's going to be a, uh, available uh, streaming, you know. Okay. Uh, there's The videos are going to be available on my YouTube channel, and then the record is going to be available on all streaming platforms. And is this coming out in May of 2023? May. May, 20, May 12, 2023. And there will be a couple of concerts around that time, too, but I'm still working on those, you know, getting all the the ducks in a row so i'm not i'm not going to announce them yet but around that time in may we're going to have a few concerts one probably here one in new york and maybe a couple of other uh places great home is here so let, let's keep keep in tune on that may 2023 from felipe salas on his youtube channel we need to wrap it up very soon but paul just very briefly can you tell us what's coming up in the jazz workshop in the over the next few weeks we have we have two more concerts uh this this year and we're taking the month of january off uh the great guitarist Cheryl Bailey will be with us on january 6th uh, i'm sorry de- december 6th next tuesday coming up at 7.30 at the Drake in Amherst. She is fabulous. She's fabulous. Not to be missed. And two weeks after that, on the 20th of December, um, the Wild and, and Wooly, Greg Abate on flute and alto saxophone. Lots and lots of fun. So thank you both for being on Take 5 tonight. Don't forget to keep your ears open for Felipe Salas. Home is here, May 23, and also the Jazz Workshop at the Drake on Tuesdays. Thank you both. Good night. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Have you heard of the Living Building Challenge? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst invites you to explore a revolutionary new kind of building. Generating its own electricity. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.